Hi, I'm Matthew Kind. Every Monday, look for a fresh new episode where I'll take you behind the scenes and interview the insiders that are shaping the rapidly evolving cannabis industry. Learn more at cannainsider.com. That's C-A-N-N-A insider.com. Now here's your program. Let's face it. Finding real estate for your cannabis or hemp business can be challenging. There's one company that has removed all the complexity and makes it simple to browse cannabis and hemp properties and businesses that are for sale right now. Best of all, it's free to get started. Check out 420property.com, that's 420property.com, and use coupon code INSIDER at checkout for a discount on subscriptions and services. Our guest today is on the cutting edge of research where laboratory science meets cannabis. As you're about to hear, we have reached what is possibly one of the largest milestones in creating pure, consistent cannabinoids in a lab. I am pleased to welcome back Kevin Chen of Hyacinth Bio. Kevin, welcome back to Can Insider. Hi, Matt. Great to be back. Give us a sense of geography. Where are you in the world today? I am based in Montreal, Canada. So, uh, I guess a little bit further north from you, but not yeah. too far. Okay. And we were just talking about pumpkin. What is it about pumpkin this time of year? Everybody wants pumpkin spice, pumpkin latte. I'm not making fun of them because I'm one of those people, but what is that? <laughs> not sure. Uh, like I was saying, maybe it's a genetic thing or, or same as the reasons why birds like to fly south this time of year. Maybe we have some kind of psychological attraction to uh, to gourds and to pumpkins and to squashes around this time of year. Uh, I've got some some squashes that I'm going to cook up myself later today or, or next week sometime. Uh, and uh, But I'm, I'm a pumpkin fan too. Why not? Yeah. Maybe it's nesting or something. I can't yeah. figure burrowing. <laughs> Well, Kevin, as I mentioned, you've been on the show before, but please remind us what on a high level does Hyacinth Bio do? Yeah, so we're a biotechnology company. Um, our main focus is on creating strains of yeast that produce cannabinoids. Um, so instead of growing a plant and having soil and adding water to that, um, you just have a big steel tank. Um, you add yeast, which looks kind of the same as baker's yeast, to that big steel tank. You add some sugar and some water. Uh, you let that grow for about a week. And then at the end of that, you extract pure cannabinoids from that yeast culture. And we do that by modifying the yeast cells themselves so that they have the ability to produce cannabinoids. And that's genetic engineering. It's synthetic biology. It's about you know looking at the genome of a yeast and a genome of a cannabis plant and then taking a all the genetic parts in a cannabis plant that are related to cannabinoid production and putting those into uh, a yeast genome so that the yeast on its own can produce cannabinoids. And by, by way of analogy for anyone that's confused right now, uh, this, is, is, this is the same way that we've produced insulin for the past 50 years or so, where uh, insulin is always coming from an engineered bacteria or engineered yeast. And it's actually a human gene for insulin that's been put inside of a yeast or a bacteria genome, and then what you know these pharmaceutical manufacturers will do is just you know cultivate that bacteria, that yeast, and then extract pure insulin at the end of that. So we're doing the same kind of process, but for uh, cannabinoids for all kinds of like great reasons that we're going to talk about today too. Okay, yeah. So I've been banging the drum about this. I think this is the third time you've been on the show in a, in a couple of years. I've been up to your lab in Montreal, 
And I've kept on thinking, wow, if this really, really works, it's going to be huge for the cannabis and hemp industry and all these, all these other industries that we'll discuss. But it sounds like you've made your, your first sale. Can you talk about that and what you sold and why it's important? Yeah, definitely. So I'll start with like, you know, what we've sold is, is CBD uh, and CBDA. If you want to make a distinction between the carboxylated and the non-carboxylated form, um, that's more of like a finer detail. But uh, at the heart of it, what we've done is successfully taken our yeast strains uh, from our lab, handed them over to a manufacturer, um, had that manufacturer, like give, gave, we gave them the, the manufacturer instructions on how to, you know, produce you know, the CBD using our, our strains. Um, they followed those instructions. And at the end of that, we ended up with some like ultra pure 99 plus percent pure CBD uh, and CBDA. And uh, it was, uh, I, would, I would describe it as like a pretty small batch, like we're going to have a few small but important customers um, uh, around the world uh, with this batch. And the, the key thing that I want to emphasize with it is that, you know, this is the first time we've, taken our yeast strains out of our own hands and uh, actually done, you know, we've, we've essentially operated the business model that we want to scale up with almost where we're trying to take advantage of manufacturers that exist all around the world that, you know, can do fermentation, enable them to use our strains of yeast to do the manufacturing of these, you know, key ingredients and have them do that like consistently, robustly and cost effectively um, so that we can actually make, you know, these cannabinoids into uh, products that are available worldwide uh, and that are available with the right quality and consistency, the same as how you know insulin is available worldwide. Okay, so it's kind of analogous to how Coca-Cola, you know, back at headquarters, has to get the syrup exactly right to a specification that can be duplicated, and then they they kind of ship out small amounts to the bottlers, uh, and the bottlers, you know, they understand the spec, and then they they make their cola. Um, on site to add the water that's to spec, the carbonation, the bottle, it's all done kind of at the edge uh, where you're getting the formulation, just what it needs to be there by your standards or by the customer standards, by both. Um, And then when it's time to scale up, you send them essentially the recipe and the strain in a small form that can be expanded greatly on site. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's a perfect analogy and also a good analogy because I mean, uh, I would say large brands like Coca-Cola have taken interest in, in cannabinoid related products too. So, and, and that's exactly what, you know, we essentially want to do here so that we have this level of consistency that starts to look more like that consistency that Coca-Cola has, where you can get it anywhere in the world. Uh, it's always the same look, the same taste, the same brand. And, and we want to have that be something that people can rely on and that brands can rely on. And right now, if you imagine doing that with uh, cannabis or uh, uh, hemp, growth operation i mean to some extent people have tried to do this in the you know cannabis industry and there's so many fine details about you know how you grow the cannabis plant what genetics are involved how much lighting or water or you know different fertilizers pesticides that all go into that process that it's incredibly hard to replicate that um and and on top of that you have to deal with the local regulations around each of those like, you know, cannabis growth operations you want to, might want to operate around the world. Um, and that's going to add another layer of complexity. And, and that makes it like really difficult to actually, you know, for any larger from a company or a larger brand to really want to invest in that. Cause there's so much, so many of these risks and so many unique cases involved. Uh, and so really, really wanted to focus on like how generic 
our process can be and how robust it can be uh, and how it can be, you know, this thing that people can actually rely on. And, and that makes it, yeah, a lot like the way that Coca-Cola might manage their manufacturing practices or any multinational brand that has like, you know, that crosses borders or that has like a nationwide, you know, supply chain, because that's ultimately where we see these products going is that we're, you know, cannabis has always been on its way to becoming part of that mainstream, but, and it's come close, but it's not, it's not there yet. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things about, you know, we mentioned the purity, but the thing that one of the other variables I'm focused on is the speed. Let's talk about how much faster this would be to get these cannabinoids versus growing them, you know, indoor, outdoor, and the, the plant and then harvesting, curing and extracting. Yeah. Um, and we highlighted that in our, in our press release stuff about this, uh, just because it is one of the most important aspects of this. And to give like some you know, experience to this, our process runs in, in one week. And that means that by the time, like if we, if we, if you started to, you know, grow some cannabis plants and I was growing my yeast, um, on, on day one, we said like, go today. <laughs> then like at the end of this week, I'd have like a few hundred milligrams or a few grams of, uh, of, of yeast or maybe a few kilograms, depending on how, how large a batch I try and run with this stuff. But, but at the end of the week, I have my first product and then you'll have your first, like maybe seedlings at the best, um, and that's that's one of the key things here is that we're operating on a on a week batch process, and that's a huge improvement in efficiency, um, and that changes the the way that the supply chain works as well a bit. But with plants, of course, you're waiting like three months to grow these plants, uh, and then at the end of that, you have to do your processing. Um, and and for us, it's like this one like you know one week turnaround. Every week, there's a new batch, um, and that's going to make a big difference for um, how much you can make and how fast you can make it. Right. Okay. I said curing early, but that's not necessarily what needs to be done for extraction. But still, there's a huge amount of time delta here that will be able to be capitalized on in the future. But it's not just about speed in growing cannabinoids. You know, these big multinationals or even small companies too, they, they really need lab cultures because it provides something they just can't get from um, extracted cannabinoids. Can you talk about what exactly, why they're gravitating to these lab-grown cannabinoids, what it does from what itch it scratches? Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I'll clarify a bit of the language there. I think lab-grown is a nice one way to put it. Um, we also like to use the words cultured cannabinoids or, or biosynthesized cannabinoids. Um, I think biosynthesized cannabinoids is the most popular word right now. But I, I don't like lab-grown as much because then it sounds like we're growing them in, a, in an actual lab, and that's not really what we're doing. <laughs> uh, we're still doing, in some sense, we're still doing agriculture. It's just a different different kind of agriculture. Uh, it's agriculture inside of cells, uh, and then you can use the word cellular agriculture, which is another fun topic. Uh, but anyways, your question was about like, why are, why are companies, why are people like gravitate towards this stuff? I mean, I, I've, I spent like the past six years looking at this industry and, and I mean, to some extent I've been doing everything that I can to get people to start gravitating toward this stuff. And I think what it boils down to is, um, a bit of those hard metrics of like where it's coming from, how it's being made and, uh, and what that means for the end consumer. And what I mean by that is that we can, you know, have a supply chain that is always going to have product available. That's and that's a product that like you always use and you always want. And we saw that issue in Canada where uh, medical cannabis providers would run out of supply uh, suddenly of like the strain that somebody was using. So if you can imagine if like 
you know, you're, you're using one dose of one particular cannabis strain, it's working really well for you for whatever condition you're dealing with, and then suddenly they're out of stock. And that's totally unacceptable from like a pharmaceutical supply chain kind of thing. Like if the world ran out of insulin, that'd be like the biggest scandal in the world. That's like millions of people that are, that are suddenly in, in trouble. And, and so we can, we can do that with this technology uh, and it's been done, been done with the technology before. So that's uh, uh, one of the things that I think is, is key. Um, other things that are like a little bit softer as far as, uh, you know, what attracts people to things are, are getting into uh, the sustainability and the efficiency of it. Um, and sustainability in a sense that like, you know, we care about the planet, we should try and make products in environmentally friendly ways. And we know that cannabis cultivation is, uh, very not friendly for the environment, uh, in the, like, the amount of greenhouse gas output that you have, the amount of control you have to put into your process. Um, and, and so we're really, you know, targeting that as like an interesting thing. Um, and that ties into like, you know, what kind of companies are people building nowadays? Uh, and what do people care about from that consumer lens where uh, whether you're a small brand or, or a big brand, maybe small brands care about this more because they want to have like an edge over their competition and, and looking for these kinds of things that are like, oh, this will be the way that, that this will go and, and the way of the future. So therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to use the cultured cannabinoids or the biosynthetic cannabinoids. But even the major brands of today, I think, are, uh, you know, tying on and getting behind these like sustainability kind of organic kind of green uh, 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 technologies. And, and that's what we are. That's, that's what we provide with this, this industry. Um, and it's not as like relevant as maybe like a, you know, you could argue that producing biofuels using a yeast uh, might be another way of like, more directly addressing an environmental issue with, with biotechnology. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean that we can't incorporate environment and sustainability into our pharmaceutical manufacturing and into manufacturing of our consumer products as well. Yeah. So some of these large food and beverage companies and other types of companies, they want that purity, consistency, and scale. And they can't really get that through plants because even if they have a mother plant, the uh, seedling or or the clipping that they take off the mother plant may be grown in a different environment every time, you know, the conditions, environmental conditions are different. So the outcome may be different, but we're really talking not like a mother plant, but a mother culture here that is essentially identical or is cloned uh, and reproduced uh, over and over again. Is this, is this kind of like, this is kind of the moment where you feel the multinationals are like, okay, this, this is, we have a mature industry that's ready to give us cannabinoids and we can start looking at it as an ingredient. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you're exactly right about that analogy of having a, a mother plant in the conditions, except we're, I guess in our case, we have like, <laughs> trying to like tie into that analogy. I'm like, we, we, we do have a mother culture. We have seed cultures that we, we store and they're all like super consistent. And then, uh, and then you grow that seed culture into like huge volumes and it, it, it is still consistent. There's no like genetic or environmental variation, or at least you have control over like all of the environment that goes into your, your steel tank. Um, and there's no airflow concerns or like, uh, you know, humidity being like in half the greenhouse being different from the other half of the greenhouse somehow. And all of these things are, are easily controlled and consistent across our batches. So um, that's definitely true. And you could imagine like, you know, not just large scale multinational brands that people are familiar with, but also large scale ingredient suppliers that are starting to catch on to this as well, um, where they can see this as 
a process they can incorporate into their own manufacturing facility and then have a new product line, which is like, you know, uh, essentially, I mean, what it boils down to is an ingredient supply ecosystem where we're providing the technology to enable this, this all to happen. And then there's manufacturers who are able to like produce the ingredient at large scales and move that into the larger brands who are their main like clients and purchasers. And that's all like, I guess uh, with the way pharmaceutical ingredient supply works is it's like the, there is a lot of different parties involved. Uh, but it starts with this. It starts with this, this, like, you know, having some kind of foundation to stand on uh, and one that doesn't rely on the cannabis plant. And, and I'm reflecting back on, like, you know, some earlier stories from the cannabis industry where people really wanted to have uh, special genetics or special strains. And maybe those strains were tied more to their their name or their brand rather than their actual chemical composition almost. Um, and, and that's going to go away. That's like, you know, we don't we don't need that kind of thing and it's not very useful from like a pharmaceutical standpoint either um when you're talking about like you know what's the actual ingredient here like what are we actually what's actually giving us the benefit and then then we have like the cannabinoids of course and that's what we we focus on um so that's that's another maybe big change of mindset is that it's less about uh plants and strains and greenhouses and indoor grow versus outdoor grow and hand trim versus not hand trim or whatever like all these things kind of just start to fade away and uh and we can focus on what's actually helping people and what's what's actually the active ingredient of the product um and and how we can use that in the best possible way uh to treat whether it's a skin condition or epilepsy or um i guess to some extent like a <laughs> uh an alternative to like alcohol on a Friday night, let's say. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the big story here and the reason I get excited about this is that it finally paves the way for an international cannabis brand or CBD or hemp brand. I mean, it, we almost couldn't be more fragmented or decentralized industry than we are. And I like all the small mom and pop businesses. I think they're, they're fun and I, I enjoy that. At the same time, it would be great if there was like one brand that the whole world understood was cannabis, because I think that would really catalyze the adoption of cannabis, especially away from other traditional medicines and different you know, maybe even cannibalize alcohol if we can get more cannabis out there. You know, I, I mentioned Coke, but I also think about like other brands that wouldn't exist if there wasn't way, some way to standardize them. Um, you know, McDonald's, uh, Adidas. I mean, that's not a, that's not food or medicine, but I mean, the, the shoes are essentially the same all over the place. And so now, we have this opportunity and we have enough countries that are legalizing uh, at least, you know, if not THC, then non-psychoactive cannabinoids. What's, what's your guess, which type of product will go global first, or at least be on multiple continents with one brand? Will it be a supplement? Will it be food? <laughs> will it be, what will it be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and and definitely, uh, yeah, it's exciting times internationally and in seeing who's developing which regulations. Um, and actually, that's that may, reminds me of another point where it'd be really nice to move some of the dial there with regulations in different countries or how people even look at this stuff where like they can look at our products and say like, that's not, you know, it's not coming from cannabis. Like we're trying to regulate cannabis. And, and it makes, makes, reminds me of the whole um, 
development of the Canadian cannabis regulations where there was like, you know, years of task forces and figuring out how to grow the plant and how to regulate that process and, and all that kind of, you know, again, starts to fade away a bit when you start to think about like, well, fermentation, like we have fermenters, like we understand that we can call somebody tomorrow and ask them how to produce things in fermenters. Uh, and they did have like, you know, 50 years of expertise in that. Um, and then in cannabis is a lot of like, you know, from the ground up kind of thinking, or, or maybe the most experienced cannabis growers were obviously doing it illegally <laughs> for a very long time. Um, so I'm excited for, for what that might look like on a regulatory standpoint worldwide. But as far as what, to, what product do we actually, what, what do you think is going to be worldwide? That's a good question. Uh, I think there is, uh, I mean, a, a pharmaceutical products is like, you know, once you get an approval somewhere, then like getting that to track around the world uh, uh, is, is not too challenging to some extent, I guess. Um, if you want to think about like, you know, what's, what are global barriers to like how we make cannabinoids available to people who need them. That's, that's one thing that to some extent already exists with uh, companies like G2B Pharmaceuticals. But I think from, from a standpoint of uh, less, less pharmaceutical and more into like the consumer range, it seems like cosmetics are the, one of the more, perceived as acceptable kind of areas um, where you might have like a skincare product that has this stuff in it as opposed to one that somebody has to consume orally, for example. And that's, that's ties into like some of the different regulatory and maybe even like emotional perspectives uh, on cannabis or on cannabinoids in general as well. Because I guess you're you're not going to like rub something on your skin and then get high or something like that, right? You don't like that's not how we people normally think about using cannabis. So therefore, we might have like some fresher perspective from like the stricter governments uh, around the world to try and like enable these kinds of products to exist. But the other nice thing I guess that exists already is is how uh, the pers- the perspective of CBD in like Europe, for example, is uh, still complicated, but like a lot more open to uh, allowing CBD oils to exist in like the health and wellness and nutritional supplement kind of area. And so to some extent that that's, you know, CBD oils might be like the first one that really uh, starts to become more available uh, anywhere in the world. Yeah. Like similar to maybe like a five hour energy drink, there might be something you see everywhere. That's a small little container that you drink or, in some way that's just instantly recognizable that'll just be around at, at everywhere. So this is, this is interesting. There's also another benefit to the lab grown cannabinoids in that it's kind of easier to experiment with rare cannabinoids and not that they're actually rare. It's just that they're not widely adopted at the moment. Can you talk a little bit about cellular ag- agriculture with rare cannabinoids? Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's one of the super interesting things that uh, uh, excites me a lot about our technology um, is that with uh, yeah with the cannabis plant we know that there's 150 cannabinoids um, and there's the main ones which are THC and CBG CBD um, to some extent CBG as well and it's like a slightly different one but um, either way there's there's ones that cannabis produces in large quantities and ones that are produces in like very very small quantities. And some of the latest research and, and some clinical trials are starting to investigate like what is the potential of these more rare cannabinoids. And uh, that's an area where if I take uh, THCV or CBDV as an example, like that might be like 0.0001% of like a cannabis flower. Um, so if you wanted to extract a gram of that, you might need like 100 kilograms um, of, of cannabis flower. And that doesn't make sense as like a process. Uh, there's just not enough there. But with 
a engineered yeast, we can uh, actually, well, <laughs> we have yeast strains that produce THCV and, and CBDV. And uh, we've done that successfully and, and cloned that pathway and that work to figure out how to like get a yeast to produce these unique compounds is a matter of like engineering, just like looking at these genes, how to assemble them properly. And then you have your yeast strain in the end. Uh, and that just takes, that takes months of time, not years. And it's not about like having a breeding program for cannabis that you're going to like, you know, just breed strains until you get the right one. Um, like we know exactly what we're changing and exactly what we're doing. And our process for producing these rare cannabinoids will be the same process that uh, as, as what we use to produce the uh, CBD and this THC that we'll make as well. So at the heart of it, we've got the ability to clone these strains that produce these rare cannabinoids. Uh, We've already done so uh, in a lot of cases. And now that we've done that, it's the same process uh, as what we'll use to produce CBD, essentially. So we can do the same thing uh, and have you know, large scale quantities of these recommended are suddenly available for, uh, I mean, ultimately for human consumption when you, when you go through all the steps to prove them out. Uh, but first for researchers, of course, uh, so that they can actually figure out how, how good these things are at treating different conditions. And that's like, you know, uh, to some extent, I think a lot of the ways that people talk about cannabis and how it's useful for so many things is coming from where there's some activity in these rare cannabinoids or in combinations of cannabinoids that right now you can't really get access to by growing just cannabis plants. And how do you think cellular agriculture will affect the global supply chain for cannabis and hemp? I mean, I'm just thinking that if we can grow cannabinoids, I mean, if we can use biosynthesis or cellular agriculture, for cannabinoids that can be done in more of an urban environment, or at least it doesn't have to be done in a rural environment like outdoor farming um, for hemp anyway. Do, do you think if there's any other ways that it might affect the global supply chain? So it's one of the funnier ideas <laughs> that I, I think about sometimes is that a lot of the products that are made using industrial fermentation are kind of like exist in the background a little bit. Like citric acid, I think, is one of the biggest ones where, like, you know, it's kind of in in all your foods. It's a common product. It's vitamin C. It's like it's everywhere, and that's that's made using fermentation. A lot of people don't really realize that, or you think it comes from oranges or something like that. Um, but it's actually a fermentation process that, that you, that's uh, used to make that. And uh, so, in in some ways, we we sort of want cannabinoid production to start to fade away in that direction too, where you're you're aware of where it comes from or maybe actually i'll flip that around i think i think <laughs> historically uh these things have faded you know faded into the background a bit nowadays i think people care a lot more about where their products are coming from uh and that's partly why like you know cellular agriculture and biosynthesis just become really important um uh, because you know we don't just want to buy a piece of meat in a store and uh and and accept that as like just normal um we care about the cows and the farmers uh, that that are providing this to us, um, which is different today than it was maybe like you know ten or twenty years ago or whatever. And and what I mean by like you know what we're going to do with with cannabinoids is that, that we're going to remove some of that drama around like cannabis production and having that be like a big event or having that uh, be like a headline news about like oh this you know cannabis grow up is opening here or like people getting upset about the smell of cannabis plants because their their neighbors growing them or or controversy around like the pesticide 
use around around cannabis and how it's making people sick um like these things start to fade away and and what people get in the end is that you know they have cbd that's available at a pharmacy uh maybe the uh, same way that you want might want to look at the uh, aspirin and you can buy like on your way to work you can buy small jar of cbd oil and it's not a big question of like oh am i going to take this and get sick later today uh or uh or am i like you know contributing to <laughs> global like greenhouse gases significantly by buying this like one cbd oil thing uh or uh uh uh, or do I even know if there's like CBD in the CBD oil that I'm buying? Like all these things that exist at, those are problems that are like exist at the forefront today. Uh, and those are going to start to fade away. Um, and then, you know, we have this like the really nice and established and reliable uh, ecosystem of manufacturing. It seems like it Maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but cellular agriculture seems like it lends itself to automation much more so than plants being grown. Like even when I visited your lab, you have things spinning and you have things in refrigerators and all the stuff going on that I can't even describe. But it looks That's like good, hey, good memory. You're, <laughs> you got a couple of things down already, <laughs> right? And I was like, okay, so you know these things tend to be smaller than plants, at least when they start out. So all these things, these combinations that are being created of cellular agriculture, can be done in an automated way. So that further brings down the price if all these experiments and all these initial uh, cannabinoid creations done in an automated way once it's dialed in. Do you think that's accurate? Do you think the cellular agriculture is really going to bring down the price a lot? Yeah, I think uh, automation definitely plays a big role in this. Um, And when you look at a uh, fermentation facility, it's, you know, maybe a few people who sit behind a computer, um, for their days kind of watching the manufacturing process go and it's way different from a cannabis production facility where you have like, you know, people trimming plants and moving the plants around and, uh, uh, and there's always like staff like handling these things. Right. Um, so, uh, it, again, yeah, it's, it's much easier to manage kind of one steel tank where you have all control of every single input and output in there. Um, uh, than it is to control like a field of cannabis plants that are just going to grow and some of them are going to change and it's going to be pests or like whatever. Um, in terms of cost, uh, there is definitely going to be a difference there, uh, and that's an interesting one, just because we uh, fermentation is also—it's not a very cheap process. <laughs> Wouldn't put it that way. Um, I think a lot of like the most expensive ingredients on the planet, uh, or the most expensive pharmaceuticals on the planet, are produced by by fermentation. So uh, I don't want to say too much about like you know trying to bring down the cost of CBD. Um, but there's uh, there's definitely some cost benefit when you get to the right kind of scale, um, uh, and uh, uh, let me think about uh, what else I could say on on, on cost. Yeah, because because in the end, like cannabis, you I guess you do have some kind of floor cost about how you have to handle the plant, how you grow it. One of the complicated things about cost that's being talked about right now in cannabis is like the price of CBD in the U.S., where everybody's like, oh, it's like so cheap. There's like it's everywhere, no problem. And yet there's these issues of like, you know, CBD remediation where there's like too much THC somehow in your hemp grow and therefore you have to remediate it. There's issues from the FDA that are saying like, well, half the CBD products on the market uh, don't even have CBD in them. Uh, You know, there's there's things like that that are starting to come out. And so like, yes, it's easy to grow hemp and you can try and do that. And then hemp is low cost, but the cost of CBD, uh, of high quality CBD, of CBD that people can actually rely on, maybe that that hasn't changed as much. Uh, And so there's still like, you know, a need obviously for uh, technology like ours to kind of 
address the the cost issue and, and the uh, and those supply issues. And one of the other exciting things about cost is when you start to get the price of your ingredients into a range that is also suitable for uh, uh, having this be an ingredient in other kinds of products already exist. Um, and I remember one of my conversations with a food manufacturer um, a few years ago, which which kind of went like this, where they were super excited about, you know, getting into CBD and having, you know, products that have CBD in them uh, and making that like a new thing for them. Uh, but like they, they make and sell bars, uh, like maybe they pay like $2 for the ingredients. They sell the bar for $4. Uh, and if I'm asking them to put like, oh, you know, pay an extra like $5 for like a gram of CBD to put into your products, um, that suddenly exceeds like what they understand is the cost dynamic and, and how this ends up actually in a grocery store or shelf or whatever. Um, cause you don't, you know, the cost of ingredients for them is, is really, really important. Um, and if it's fundamentally past a certain point, then they can't commercialize products. Um, and that's where, you know, we may be able to, with fermentation, I think we can definitely start to break those barriers and, uh, and get to cost ranges that, that start to make sense for these kinds of ingredients. Um, and, uh, and the same thing about scale again and so on and so forth. But those are my comments on cost. I think a bunch of, a bunch of thoughts there, but it's an interesting one. So, just describe a little bit of how you envision making money here. Is this through intellectual property licensing or some other kind of royalty agreement? What does that look like? Yeah, in the end, it'll be a combination of, of those things. Uh, and it might depend a bit on who our partners are, how regulations need to be handled, um, uh, and these kinds of things where you know it might make sense for some markets for us to get into just purely by licensing. It might make sense for others for us to get into by having a partner and then building our own facilities. Um, and, and I'd say to some extent, we have some some options there as far as like how we might deal with each situation. Um, but at the heart of it, I think what we're looking for here is um, really the ingredients companies or those brands or those uh, retailers and distributors who understand the market who have products that are out there now, and maybe they have like a market share in some other sectors. Um, and they're curious about like, Oh, you know, maybe I could add CBD to my products or maybe I'm well positioned to, uh, to, to take in the supply and commercialize like a CBD product around the U S or in Canada or around the world, wherever. And, and then they might want to, you know, start talking to us and say like what that might look like, uh, what commitments do they need to make to, uh, to have us partner with them uh, and, and what it takes to like get manufacturing online so they can start to do that kind of work. Um, so it's, uh, <laughs> it'll be a little bit complicated, uh, but that's uh, uh, in the end, there's, you know, we have, we have these kinds of options and, and choices to make. Um, and it'll be exciting to have those conversations with these uh, different partners or investors. So you've achieved this milestone here in selling the first lab uh, cellular agriculture CBD just for people that are listening and they're like, okay, what other milestones should I look for, Kevin, to see that this is all really happening and that this biosynthesis is going to become a larger and larger part of the cannabinoid market? What do you see? Like, what's the, what's the big one or two, maybe three things that you'd say, okay, look for this and then you'll know this industry is getting traction. Yeah, look for me flying overhead in like a private jet that I own or something. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, that's a good one. Eh? Um, no, I think I think the milestones, uh, like uh, for for years, it's always been a bit of the same. Uh, I would say where 
we, we decided to get into this, we knew that the advantages of doing this process are that, you know, it's somewhat traditional. There's, there's facilities worldwide. Uh, and so you can take your process from your lab, put it somewhere else and, and somebody else can run it for you. Um, and, and we've done that. We've, we've done that at least, you know, at this level to, to show that it works. And so we'll do, we'll do more of that. We'll do some larger scales. That'll be one thing to watch out for. The, the next thing is to prove that, uh, of course, we can have partnerships around our technology and have ways that we can get access to the market. Um, to some extent, we've done that with uh, our, our relationship with Organogram, which is another big Canadian cannabis producer. And now we're looking for more partners around that and, and seeing who might be our best partner in uh, maybe by country or by application and say like, okay, well, we're going to partner there uh, for this, this product line. One of the exciting things that's coming up now too is also uh, the the idea of product diversity and having a range of cannabinoids that we can make uh, and and demonstrating that. So that's going to be uh, another really interesting one where we start to show a bit more of our ability to diversify products. And with those three things, we've kind of covered covered the bases a bit as far as like here's the advantages we've proven that these advantages make sense and that they work. Uh, and, and then it'll be about growing the business. And, uh, uh, and of course, uh, we're a startup. We're looking for more investors all the time a bit. Um, but that's something else that, uh, uh, uh we can talk about too, I guess. Yeah. Where, where are you in the, the, uh, raising capital process? Yeah. Uh, I would say, I mean, we're always fundraising, so there's, um, a way for you guys, a way for people to reach out to me, uh, directly to say like, you know, if you're interested in whatever, but uh, uh, and we do we are looking for more capital, of course. That's going to focus on the commercialization of our technology and uh, seeing who's around that that can support that. Okay, okay. Well, Kevin, since you've been on the show a few times, I have some different personal development questions for you. Cool. Yeah, yeah you should change them up because otherwise, I'll <laughs> people get bored. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then one day they'll know everything about me after a few times. <laughs> <laughs> They might just clone you and say, we don't need Kevin anymore. We can oh, yeah, sell you a little Kevin. <laughs> so what other technologies do you see on the horizon that the public may not be totally appreciating how it might dramatically change their lives apart from what you're doing in the labs or anything else you just see anecdotally where you're like, hey, this is going to have a big impact. And maybe people really don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, one of the most exciting things to me is, uh, I mean, all of the cellular agriculture and biosynthesis kind of field is is interesting to me um because you start to uh move the bar about like looking at your daily life and and the objects that you eat or that you buy in the store and or that you have around you even today and seeing like okay well maybe all these materials can be made using yeast or or bacteria or something like that and and seems like that reality is like coming up really really fast um you know there's uh, one of my favorite other companies is called Perfect Day Foods, and they're producing uh, milk using yeast, essentially. And uh, uh, and people in the U.S. can buy their ice cream. I can't buy their ice cream because I think they, they don't have international sales yet. <laughs> if you're in the U.S., you can buy some of this interesting uh, yeast-based ice cream, um, which is super exciting. So I see that, like, you know, that's 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 right on the horizon there. That's that's pretty much here now. Um, and, and what's on the horizon is a bit more of that, like, you know, what else can be made uh, and, and how else can, can biosynthesis play a role in our lives. Okay. Well, we mentioned ice cream. Is there, do you have a favorite comfort food? That's <laughs> your go-to, I forget that uh, concoction, that, that cheese curd they put on fries and stuff there in Montreal. It's really oh, good. What's that called again? 
Yeah, bingo. Um, <laughs> that's called poutine. Poutine, yes. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's, that that's, is really good. It sounds gross, but it's really good. Is but is that what? What's your favorite comfort food? I don't want to put word, words in your mouth. That's that. That's pretty high on my list. I would say that the poutine element uh, for sure. My favorite comfort food is uh, Chinese food, actually, because um, I, I grew up. My dad is from uh, Singapore originally, okay, uh, and so we grew up eating Chinese food all the time. Um, and there's uh, a specific restaurant where <laughs> where I grew up, which is like the one that we always go to, and that's that's maybe my my ideal like comfort food spot in my brain. That's like ah, this is the one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was truly impressed by the food uh, options in Montreal. I don't know if it's the French kind of legacy there and culture or what, but I was like, Hey, this is, this is really good food. Every place I went, it seemed like it was really good food. So you're in a good food city. Definitely. Yeah. All right. So last question here, what is your favorite tool? It can be a software tool, physical tool. doesn't need to relate to what you do day to day. It's just, you'd be bummed if you could never use this tool again. Yeah. Uh, let me think for a second. Maybe my favorite tool right now is my, my coffee grinder. Um, I think making coffee at home uh, and, and working from home has been a, a good experience. Uh, one of the silver linings of, of the current situation. Uh, so I'll give it that. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, it, uh, that's definitely a ritual, I, a ritual I couldn't live without. I, I recently got, I'll tell you what my favorite tool is. How about that? I, I uh, recently got a big Berkey water filter. It's just amazing. They've been around for a long time, but it's, it purifies the water. It takes out chlorine and all the things in there and also takes out the fluoride uh, and arsenic and all these things. And I've just been amazed at how much different the, just drinking water it is with it. Uh, so, on, you know, I don't have any relationship with them, but it is truly a, a great uh, tool for just having pure, clean drinking water around the house. Yeah, so it's I, good. Yeah, you don't have to go out uh, with water bottles and stuff like that. Totally. Uh, and, and Montreal just has a, a bunch of scandalous things around uh, lead in the pipes and other kinds of stuff. So um, I think the city is actually supposed to send me a, a water filter for my own water, but I already have my own. But I, I, I would say plus one to that for sure. Water filters are, are great tools. <laughs> well, Kevin, we learned a lot today. I feel like this was a combination of a science course and a business class wrapped into one. But as we close, let accredited investors and also companies that may be interested in learning more about, you know, your cannabinoids and how they might partner with you or work with you somehow. How can these two parties work with you, accredited investors and who want are interested in investing and also businesses? Yeah, definitely. Um, I would say our website is the best place to get started. Um, head over to hyacinthbio.com. Uh, you can scroll through the little animation that we've got on our website. Um, people seem to like that a lot. And then uh, we've got a few contact forms at the bottom, which uh, people can choose whichever one they, they feel like they fall into. Um, and then that'll get sent over to me and, uh, uh, and leave, leave a bit of information about yourself and, and what you're looking for. And uh, I'll do my best to help out. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show yet again and you know, educating us on what's going on. This is a fast-moving industry, and I watch it very closely. And uh, well done with your business, and keep us updated. Likewise, and glad to be really glad to be back, and glad to to hear you know Canada Insider uh, keeping up the uh, the good word, um, and uh, happy to be back again sometime in the future, of course. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show today, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever app you might be using to listen to the show. Every five star review helps us to bring the best guest to you. 
Learn more at canninsider.com forward slash iTunes. What are the five disruptive trends that will impact the cannabis industry in the next five years? Find out with your free report at cannainsider.com forward slash trends. Have a suggestion for an awesome guest on Canna Insider? Simply send us an email at feedback at cannainsider.com. We'd love to hear from you. Please do not take any information from Canna Insider or its guests as medical advice. Contact your licensed physician before taking cannabis or using it for medical treatments. Promotional consideration may be provided by select guests, advertisers, or companies featured in Canna Insider. Lastly, the host or guests on Canna Insider may or may not invest in the companies or entrepreneurs profiled on the show. Please consult your licensed financial advisor before making any investment decisions. Final disclosure to see if you're still paying attention. This little whistle jingle you're listening to will get stuck in your head for the rest of the day. Thanks for listening and look for another Canon Insider episode soon. Take care. Bye-bye.